Psalm 107. And what I think about this psalm is, in some ways, and poor old Edwin, because, or poor young Edwin, because um, the, the titles keep changing. Oh, and you've picked up on this as well. The titles keep changing. And what I do is I, I try to write a sermon early and then just mull over it as well. And uh, I, it, it, the title actually changed quite recently. And, and that was that only desperate people grow. Only desperate people grow. I wondered even if the word desperate was right or whether it should be dependent. Because in one sense, as Christians, we're desperate. We, we cling on to God as our only hope. And we regularly cry out to him knowing that he hears us. But yet the same Jesus comes and talks about resting in him. So maybe dependent is a, a better word. Desperate before we come to faith. But we never lose that desperation or the, what might be better called that dependence. And when I went through this passage, one of the things that jumped out of these 43 verses is the repeated refrain, crying out. They cried out to God. They were desperate. They knew their dependence on him. I was reading a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's the Welsh preacher who was in London in the last century. And he was talking about preaching. And he was critical of the term that we use of making a decision for Christ. He says, the problem with making a decision for Christ is that it's too soft a word. You know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, as if it's just something that's done quite passively. He says, no, no, no. He says, the, the, the sinner no more makes a decision for Christ than, you know, a person who's drowning. You know, when the sinner is awakened, because you were dead. And when the, the Holy Spirit comes and shows you your need, he says, you don't make a decision for Christ. You fly to Christ as your only hope. That's what is involved in becoming a Christian. Seeing that he is your only hope. He's your only hope for this year to come. Like later on, this is going to talk about storms. And he's your only hope for the storms that you're going to face. There'll be good times too. I can see at least two weddings on this side over here. Uh, that are coming this year, but there will be difficult times too. There will be storms. And he's your only hope. And so he says, the sinner no more decides for Christ, the awakened sinner, than a drowning man decides to grab the rope that was thrown to him. Because he sees in that rope the only hope he has of life. There are four groups in this passage. It's a, it's a long psalm. But there are four groups into it. It's, it's sort of as a repeated structure. And the four groups that are here are the lonely, the guilty, the fool, and the storm-tossed. Now, you might think of loneliness as your greatest need, although loneliness is a massive issue in Irish culture. Apparently, loneliness is as bad for you as 15 cigarettes a day and some psychologists sorted out, and that Ireland is the loneliest country in the EU. I don't know if you think about faith when it comes to coming to Jesus, whether you thought about it simply in terms of a personal transaction between you and God, or whether you realize that God was bringing you into a family. You know, Christianity is not a private religion. Here you have, in the opening verses of this psalm, people who are in a wastelands, their life is ebbing away, they're lonely. And what does God do? It tells us that he brings them 
to a city. He brings them to a city, city full of people. And so what we have is the lonely being brought to a city, into community. And we are a people on our way to a city, the new Jerusalem, where we will be with God's people, enjoying God's presence forever. There is a sense in which we're still living in that loneliness on our way to a heavenly city. But God, in one of the other Psalms, what it says is in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says, God puts the lonely in families. Do you realize how much we need each other as we face this year ahead? Oh, I know church is imperfect and people in churches are imperfect, but do you realize how much we need each other? And that, that despite all the difficulties that can come in living as sinful people in relationship with each other, we need each other. I, I, uh, I really am going to harp on about this a lot this year, but you know we have a prayer room after church every Sunday. And we should not be too proud to admit our needs to each other for prayer. I'd love to think by the end of this year that that prayer room will be buzzing because we acknowledge that we need the prayers of each other. We need to share our needs. And so God brings people into a, a city, the lonely. Of course, he also satisfies our lonely in himself. We are his children when we become believers in Jesus Christ. But then verse 11, you move on to a second group of people, and the second group of people are the rebellious the rebellious people, the people who do things that they know are wrong. And the rebellious in this situation are miserable in their guilt. They're miserable in their guilt. They realize that their guilt is killing them. I'm reminded of Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, David, who's not admitting his guilt, in Psalm 32, what does he do? He acknowledges his sin and he confesses to God and we're told he finds forgiveness. And that's what God offers each one of us. But again, don't lose that sense of desperation. I, I once met a man who claimed that he was perfect. He had, uh, he had reached a level of spiritual perfection. It was a particular theology he had and I'll tell you he wasn't perfect. And I know how he wasn't perfect because I looked at his relationships with other people. In this life, we will always be imperfect until we see Jesus. You know, 1 John 1 verse 8 says, if we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so this need for God's ongoing forgiveness is something that we continue to look at. One hand, we are forgiven everything. We are just, we are righteous, nothing will remove us from that. But every day we go knowing that we damage our relationship with God in ways that we need to keep going back to him and acknowledging our guilt. And one of the things, thinking about being a part of this city is that we in James are to acknowledge our guilt to each other. Confess your sins to each other. Is that something you even consider doing? That we would go to other people and 
ask them and talk to them about our guilt. Why? Well, one, because it humbles us. It's good to acknowledge to other people that we are flawed. Two, because it makes us accountable. If you think that sin is something serious that you want to deal with in your life, well, you'll want the help of other people. And three, and most importantly, because it gives that person that you're confessing your sin to George, it gives that person the opportunity to preach the gospel to you, to remind you that you are forgiven, that God does forgive, that he will never turn away the repentant, that there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from his love. And so one of the dependency we have on each other is that we confess our sins to each other. We find people that we can speak openly about what's in our heart because that's a means of growing and hearing the gospel. And third, there's the self-damage from verse 17. They're fools. Now the fool is a particular type of sinner. The fool is someone who's acting in such a way that's self-destructive. If you look at the verses that follow verse 17, what you see is that the fool is on a path that's leading towards death. In other words, there's behaviors that we have that are killing us. Things that we're cherishing that we won't let go that are breaking us. Things that we do. Think about when we, when we allow a relationship to be broken and we live in bitterness. It's an acid that eats its own container. It hurts us more than it hurts anybody else. We're killing ourselves with our sin. And the fool acknowledges that and finds their life beginning to be restored. Because we make a mess of our lives, but God is one who restores our lives and gives us a sense of purpose. I don't know if you know the name Jordan Peterson. I don't really know much about Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian psychologist. But he turned up on a reel, and can I say that reels, do you know what a reel is? I'm sure, Marty, there are little videos that come up on your Facebook or on Facebook, if you don't know what that is, that's probably good as well. But, but, but there are these little addictive sort of things with someone talking or doing something silly. And Jordan Peterson comes up in one. And it was really interesting what he said. He says, you know, the more we think and obsess about ourselves, the more unhappy we are. And isn't that true? And God calls us to stop being fools and to focus not obsessing on ourselves, but towards the beauty of Jesus. And that brings us freedom and joy. And then there's the storm tossed in verse 23. You know, in the Old Testament times, the water was seen as a picture of chaos. And, and storms, well, what a good picture for life. There will be times this year where you will have calm. And there will be other times this life where you will go through a storm. And then look at verse 29. God stills the storm. And don't you realize that when you go to the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's the stilling of the storm by Jesus. In other words, Jesus is doing what God does because he's God the Son. And Jesus, who says, I will 
be with you always to the very end of the age as the one who's in the control of the storm. In fact, you see in these verses that he's the one in verse 25 who allows the storm to come and sends the storm, and then he's the one who speaks and calms the storm. And you look at the life of Jesus, and what do you see? You see in one hand the one who can speak, and the storm is stilled. And yet on the other hand, he's the one who walks with us through the storm. Because I can't tell you this year that there won't be storms in your life, and there'll be storms in mine. But I can tell you that Jesus won't leave you at any stage. I have a slight storm going on in my life at the moment. So this week I found out that my dad's not going to get any better than he is at the moment, and he's not as good as I'd like him to be. He had a stroke. And so he won't get home. And I I thought about this, and I thought, thinking about this psalm, how is Jesus with us in this storm? And, you know, if you look just at the storm, sometimes you don't see God's faithfulness until you look hard. And you begin to see, you know, that actually I can trace evidence of his faithfulness even in the midst of the storm. Do you know what I mean? That you go and you look at the circumstances and the the people who have been around you and the many ways you have been held and Jesus is there with you in the storm but sometimes it takes a bit of work to find. So you have to think hard. And ultimately, even if you can't see him in the storm, you can see him facing the storm himself as he dies on a cross for you so that you will not face the greatest of all storms, but you will be brought through the day of judgment. And so we ask God in the midst of the storms that we're going to face this year that God would remind us that he is with us. Because it's not true to say that it will all be plain sailing. So let's begin to finish up. Are you willing to admit you're weak? Are you willing to admit you're weak? Do you try to pretend you're strong? You, you know, are you, are you willing to admit that you need the heavenly city, which, which is touched on in church? He brings us into a family. Do we admit that we need each other? You know, if we keep people at an arm's length or are unwilling to open up with the people here, if we're unwilling to ask for help, you know what? We're not mature and strong. We're immature and weak. Weakness is strength in the Christian life. Are you willing to admit your need of each other? Are you willing to admit that we still struggle with guilt? Are we willing to admit that we need to keep on going with God's forgiveness, which is certain? And that we become the sort of person that someone can open up about something they're struggling with and we can preach the gospel into that. Are we willing to admit to each other that we're far from perfect? Are we willing to admit that we've done plenty of things in our lives where we have been fooled? That we haven't played it cool the whole time? Are we willing to admit that we've made mistakes? 
seek forgiveness where we need to, but also trust God because the great thing about God is he's in such control that even the mistakes we make, they don't crumble his purpose for us. And he can redeem them. And are we willing to admit each other when we're in the storm, there are times we need to cry out. I don't know if desperation is the right word. Maybe it's dependence. But in the Christian life, we have to learn to keep on crying out to God and keep on seeing his faithfulness. And then finally, what about the response? Well, you find the response right at the beginning of the psalm, what we're to do, uh, and right at the end of the psalm. In verse 8, 8, 15, 21, and 31, every time there's one of these scenarios, the response is, give thanks. And the opening words, give thanks for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord. You know, that word redeemed is to purchase back, to take something out of slavery, to pay a price to free someone. And all of us, if we know Jesus, are people who have been redeemed by God. We've seen his ultimate faithfulness. We have the reason ultimately for thanks. And then you go down to the last verse, verse 43. And it says, let the one who is wide heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And I should also say verse 2. No, verse 3. Those who have gathered, oh, I've lost the verse. But it talks about speaking these things out. I was thinking about that and I came up with a little thought that, you know, you think about these things. You have to do the work of seeing God's faithfulness. You then thank God when you see his faithfulness you thank God and then there's the the one where it says in one of the verses about speaking to people about what God has done for you and I thought well you know maybe that's how it works we think over what God has done to us it fills our hearts with thanksgiving and it causes us to speak to other people about his goodness not our greatness because admitting our need puts us in a way where we were dependent, we had blown it, and he helped us. But then I thought also, just be careful here, because don't use thanksgiving and praise as a means to a greater end. They're a means and an end in themselves. So allow God fill your heart with thanksgiving as you see his faithfulness in the storm, in the guilt, in the loneliness, and in the mess. Amen. Louisa, would you pray?